Welcome to the Peckway Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. At Peckway, our mission is to transform lives by connecting people with God and with each other. It's our hope that this message will give you hope and encourage you to take the next step in your journey with Christ. For more information about our services and weekly ministries, visit us at peckwaychurch.com. joining us today. Please stand with us as we sing.
be seated. Well, good morning. Everyone looks like they made it in nice and dry. <laughs> Is it still raining out there? No, not, not too much. It was pouring when we came in this morning, but we are thankful for the rain as it uh, helps those plants and uh, crops grow. Well, this morning we do, we believe for it. What a great song. We believe in the power of Jesus' name, just as we sang. In Matthew 1, 21, and the, uh, he's speaking of Mary, it says, And she, meaning Mary, will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. What a great verse. Because there is power in the name of Jesus to save. Well, my name is Kelly, and I am so grateful to be here with you this morning to walk through worship together and to sing of Jesus' name. This morning, we have the opportunity to walk together in worship, and I am very excited about that. Scott is away on vacation, so we're letting him enjoy his time away, and I'm helping to fill in a role here. But a little later on this morning, we will have a chance to hear from Pastor Jerry as he brings us the part five, actually, from our family series and if you've taken note in your sermon notes this morning, you'll notice that our title is God's Solution for Marital Stress. But even apart from a marriage commitment, we can all have stress in relationships, right? So I truly believe that today God has us here for a reason. I have no doubt that we can apply today's sermon, even if we are not married yet or even if we've been married for years or even just a few um, short months. But before I rush ahead and uh, steal Pastor Jerry's thunder here for the sermon, I want us to walk through worship together this morning. We're going to be singing a song called The Goodness of God. And God is good, isn't he? He's so good. I want you to all think of a time when you really felt God's goodness. So I'll give you a second just to think and let that come to mind. Maybe right now you're even experiencing God's goodness. Now I can think of many seasons in my life when God was faithful, when he showed his goodness. You know, even when I walked through um, seasons of anxiety or seasons of depression, uh, even when my husband and I worked, walked through uh, infertility together, and we experienced the loss of a child, you know, I still felt God's goodness. He was still good. And maybe in the heat of that moment, I wasn't able to say that God was good, but he never left my side. He was faithful, and he is still faithful today. And I can truly say that in those seasons, he was so, so good. You know, my list could go on, but um, you know, the point that I'm making in our lowest valleys we can sing of God's goodness. So even in your lowest valleys, we can still sing, we can still praise God that he is good. I know he is good. He remains faithful. Do you? In 1 Corinthians 1.9, this is the New Living Translation, it says, God will do this, for he is faithful to do what he says, and he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do you believe for it today? Join me in standing as we sing the goodness of God.
to sing when life is easy sailing, right? (laughs) Stress is low, there's peace, uh, you know, but what about when our load feels very heavy or when we feel like we're treading waters? It's, It's hard to sing of God's goodness. Maybe we are just sinking in stress and, you know, forget about the peace because at that point we're just trying to stay afloat. 
Two years ago, I was in a pretty deep storm myself. I was very restless. I felt like peace was never going to come again. I didn't know how to be still in Christ, let alone at the time what that looked like. But just around that time, I had attended a worship leader conference online. And the next song that we're going to sing is written by Hope. And she talked about her testimony. She talked about this song. And all of that just hit me right in the gut. God didn't literally speak to me in that moment, but he spoke. And he said, will you trust me? What storm are you holding on to right now? What, what storm do you feel like you're just, you're just trying to stay afloat? You're just treading waters. Could it be your marriage, your family, a relationship? So if you could do something for me this morning, if you could just take your hands and just hold them out. And I want you to place that storm mentally in your hands. And I want you just to hold your hands there. And I want you just to let God take that. Are you going to trust him this morning to take that? This next song that we're going to sing is Peace Be Still. And I just want to give you the opportunity to whether it's sitting or standing or kneeling. But I just want to make way for an opportunity for you to just meditate over the words that we're going to sing, or sing them with us. Think of the storm that you're in, and I just want you to ask yourself if you're going to allow God to speak to you this morning as we prepare to come into the Word in a few minutes. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll, we'll get ready to sing. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to pray over the church, all of those that are gathered here this morning in person, in online. God, you are so, so good. You have the power to take our storm. God, we trust you. We trust your voice. Let our faith rise up in us today. Amen.
Join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we were just able to walk through worship together as a gathered people. Lord, it is so great to sing of your praises, to sing of your name. Lord, I realize that some of us come in with heavy burdens or heavy hearts. 
Lord, I just pray that as we sang in our last song, that you would just let the peace now come, let the peace calm us, let our faith rise up. Lord, I'm just going to give us a moment to just be still, to be still and just to be quiet. There is such beauty in stillness to hear your voice speak, to make way for that. Too often we are in a hurry on to the next thing. Too often we don't just quiet ourselves and be still to hear your voice, to guide us, to direct us. God, even in the storm, you are faithful. You've remained faithful. I just pray that we would now come into your word this time together as a gathered people to hear and to receive what you have to say. In Jesus, in your precious name, amen. Well, as I settle in, I just want to say to Kelly and the worship team, thank you for helping us, helping me. Just have a moment to, in the words of the scripture, be still and know that I am God. And I don't know about you folks, but in life as a parent, as a grandparent, as a husband, I need those moments to just be still and be reminded of not only that God is with me, but that God is for me. And I really can't think of a more important thing to be reminded of as we walk into what I would suggest to you is for many of us, a sensitive subject. Because as we continue in this series, Doing Family, I wanted at least at some point in this series to talk to us about the issue or the topic of marriage. Uh, because I, I just want to say to you, I really do believe with all my heart that foundational to a healthy family is a healthy marriage. Because, and so if there's any place in your life, I would suspect, I certainly know in my life, that I need God's power, I need God's help, it's in my marriage. Now, having said that, and Kelly alluded to it, but some of you are probably sitting here thinking, but I'm single. I'm never married or I'm single again, and the reality is you're asking the question, how does this topic relate to me? And here's what I want to say to you folks. It relates to every one of us because, as Kelly pointed out, every one of us are in relationships. And in every relationship, we face what I'm going to call three stressors. In fact, let me just share them with you and see if you identify with them. If you haven't taken out your message notes, let me encourage you to do it. Here's the first stressor that we all face in relationships, and that's unexpected differences. In in other words, what I mean by that, folks, is whatever relationship we walk into, however much we think we have in common with the other person, the further we get into that relationship, the more and more we become aware that there are differences. Sometimes stark differences far more than we ever thought on the front end that there would be in the relationship and that causes stress let me give you the second stressor that every relationship faces and that's unmet needs unmet needs in other words folks you and i bring needs to every relationship many most in fact those those needs are helpful but there are some needs that we bring to relationship that are unhelpful maybe even hurtful to ourselves into the relationship. But here's a fact that you know and I know. When those needs in our lives go unmet in the relationship, it causes stress, doesn't it? It causes, produces stress. And here's the third uh, common issue stressor that we all face in any relationship, and that's unforgiven mistakes. Unforgiven mistakes. 
And that is because here's a fact of relationships. We get hurt in relationships. Now, I know the temptation is pushed back against that, but let me just kind of give you my logic, folks. Even in a loving relationship, we get hurt. Most of the time, the vast majority of the time, it's unintentional. But sometimes it is intentional. But regardless of whether it's unintentional or intentional, the reality is we get hurt in relationships. And if we nurse that hurt and, and, and we carry the hurt, we don't forgive the hurt, folks, I promise you, and we know it to be true, all of us, it strains the relationship. It hurts the relationship. And so again, let me come full circle. Today's topic, whether you're married or not, has relevance to you. Even if you're just a teen or a young adult, you're not married yet, you're thinking about marriage, I'm going to say this topic is relevant to us, to all of us, because we all deal with relational stress. And we also, what is common for all of us, why it's relevant to all of us, is when we experience relational stress, for most of us, we respond in the exact same way. And that is, we invariably say, when we find ourselves facing those stressors in life, we say to ourselves, at least we feel, I feel powerless to change things. Have you ever said that in the midst of a stress in a relationship? I feel powerless to do anything about this. I feel, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to respond. But here's the good news. Here's what God wants us to understand, that his power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, can give us and be in our lives working to give us the power we need to not only change our relationship in general, but our marriages in particular. And, and so what I want you to do is take a look there on your outline what Paul said about this. It's from the J.B. Phillips paraphrase, but here's how Paul talks about it. He says, how tremendous is the power available to us who believe in God. The same power demonstrated when Christ was raised from the dead. So here's what we're going to spend the rest of the time this morning doing. What we're going to look at is three ways that God makes his power available to us in our marriages so that we can be the people that we want to be, that we could be the spouse that we want to be, that we could have the marriage that we dream about. So let's jump into it. Here's the first way God makes his power available to you and to me in our marriage, and that is he gives us power to understand our spouse's differences to understand our spouse's difference. Because to have a successful marriage, folks, you know that, some of you have been married longer than Lara and myself, but to have a successful marriage, we have to understand and even appreciate the differences as husbands and wives, as between ourself and our spouse. And yet here's the reality. The most common complaint that marriage counselors hear, and I would say pastors who do marriage counseling hear, is this, I don't understand him. I have no idea why she does what she does. I mean, that's probably, hands down, the most common complaint when it comes, that's heard when it comes to marriage counseling. But folks, that shouldn't surprise us, because I want you to take a look at what Paul referred to centuries ago when he was talking about the differences between individuals, and he wrote this. He said, no one can really know what anyone else is thinking or what he really is like, except the person himself. Now, I'll confess to you, I told someone earlier in the service on these kind of messages, these serious kind of messages, I figure, especially marriage, I figured the best thing to do is to just be honest about myself. So let me just confess to you right up front that when Larry and I first started dating, it seemed like all that we could notice, all that we ever talked about, it seemed, was everything we had in common. Can some of you relate to that? I mean, it seemed like every time Larry and I talked, oh, you did that, I do that. You love that, we love that. Oh, your parents did that, my parents did that. We just constantly talked about everything we had in common. Then we got married, and we lived together 24-7. And then it was amazing to us, and we often talked about how different we were, how much we didn't have in common. For example, 
we began to realize that we have a different idea about where the toothpaste tube ought to be squeezed, right? I mean, we began to realize that we had a different idea of what the ideal temperature ought to be on the, on the thermostat. And we definitely had a difference of opinion of which way the seat on the toilet ought to be left, up or down. You know what I'm talking about? If you've been married more than five minutes, you know what I'm talking about. And I share that, folks, because honestly, and I share with someone this week in my preparation, I really believe that is proof of God's sense of humor. That he takes two people that are completely different in almost every way, and he brings us together in marriage. Now, I can't prove this to you, but I promise when I get to heaven, I'm going to go to talk to God and find out. Because I really suspect that on the day Larry and I got married, God the Father looked at God the Son, and he says, you've got to watch this, son. I'm going to put these two together, and it's going to be hilarious. And I want you to know we haven't disappointed. Our marriage has been hysterical. But listen to me, in case you think Lara and I are unique, I want to remind you, maybe jog your memory of just how different you and your spouse are, okay? Can I do that? L let me just throw this out for you. If you're like the typical couple, then one of you in your marriage gets up with the chickens, and the other one is a night owl who doesn't believe in God before 10 a.m., am I right? There's a difference. One of you is an early riser, one of you stays up all night. Now, again, if you're like the average couple, then one of you in your marriage is daring and impulsive. And, and the other one in your marriage is cautious and careful. In other words, one of you is continually saying, we've got to play by the rules. And the other one's saying continually, forget about the rules. Let's just make it up as we go. And really, let me give you another one. If you're like the typical couple, then almost invariably in your marriage, there is one of you who is a chatty Kathy. And there's another one of you that is quiet as a church mouse. Typically, that is true. You know, let me give you another one. If you're like the typical couple, then one of you is a snuggle bunny and the other one's a porcupine. Now, don't look at each other. I don't want to know who that is in your marriage. But the reality is, folks, you're probably there. And then let me give you one more. If you're like the average couple, then one of you is neat, organized, and always on time. In fact, your motto is, if you're on time, you're late. Then there's others of you in your marriage who is scattered, and you're, you're not disorganized, you're flexible, right? And you're habitually late. You think close enough is good enough. Now, here's the reason I share that, folks. Here's the reason I went to take you through that list. Here's the thing we need to remember. When it comes to that, that list, those five contrasting descriptions, it isn't that one set is right and one set is wrong. The thing we need to remember is they're just different. And the sign of emotional and, and relational maturity is when you and I as husbands and wives, as men and women, begin to understand that those differences can actually bring balance and growth to our marriage. So rather than being frustrated about them, rather than being resenting them, rather than getting upset about them, we need to understand them and appreciate them. That's why Peter said this. Peter said, you husbands should try to understand the wives you live with. Now, understand, Peter was a married man, and so Peter knew, he experientially, not just spiritually, but experientially, that you and I need to work, we need to intentionally work to understand our spouse, because men and women are vastly different. We're different biologically, but we're also different behaviorally. And so, for example, men assume, now, and again, don't, don't elbow each other, I mean, I think some of you might go home bruised today, but men just assume that women think like men but ladies, you don't, do you? And, and, and women assume men think like women, but we don't. 
The reality is we're just different. And so it's little wonder that Peter said, a married man himself, through the power of the Spirit, the wisdom of the Spirit, said you need to work. You need to intentionally work to try to understand your spouse. And Solomon, a man who prayed and received from God the gift of wisdom, the wisest man who ever lived, wrote this about it. He said, homes are built on the foundation of wisdom and understanding. Now, Lara's here in the service this morning. I promise you, if she was up here talking about that verse, Lara would tell you that is absolutely true. That there are some things about your spouse that only God can understand. Lara and I were talking about this this morning. For example, two weeks ago, I think it was two or three weeks ago, Lara came into the master bathroom to get ready to come to church, and she found one of the window screens out and a set of shooting sticks in a rangefinder on the garden tub. And the reason it was there, it seemed very logical to me, was because there was a groundhog who decided to set up his summer home in our flower beds, and I was trying to ambush him. Now, Lara shook her head and laughed at me, but I want to tell you, when we first married, I don't know if I would have got that response. But see, we will be married 35 years here in August. And, and over that time, I'll, I'll just, again, guys, I'm going to help you here, okay? Over that time, Lara, early on in our marriage, has come home from work, to find me nowhere around and bass swimming in the sink. Because I got called out to the hospital because of an emergency and I didn't want the fish to go bad, so I just put them in the sink and left. She found that. But that's nothing. Lara got up one night. She was probably about four or five months pregnant. Comes, hears the water running in the shower, comes into the bathroom and finds me in there washing a deer carcass off in the shower. Now, I really I don't have a good explanation why I was doing that other than I was in Kentucky at the time. And so I was just fitting in. I really tried to think about it. go, why did I do that? Why, what was I thinking? I, I don't know. Now, Lara will tell you that I looked at her. She goes, what are you doing? And I, in my response, I thought it was very clever. I said, hon, just go back to bed. And when you get up, this will all be gone. <laughs> but folks, I say that because really I want to say to you wives, it could be worse. Okay, ladies? I want to say to you men, you're welcome and I want to say to all of us, folks, the reality is that's why God gives us his power to understand our mates' differences. Because it takes that, and Lara, I really mean this sincerely, it really exemplifies for me that, that point, that principle of using God's power to understand your spouse's difference. But let me give you the second thing God gives us power to do in our marriage, and that is to fulfill our spouse's needs. To fulfill our spouse's needs. Now, God's the one who created marriage. Institution of marriage was not created by society or by a group of men or women. It was created by God. And one of the many reasons for which he created marriage was to meet and fulfill our mutual needs for mutual benefit. In other words, you and I, as we've already talked about, come to our marriage with a set of legitimate needs. A husband brings legitimate needs to a marriage. A wife brings legitimate needs to a marriage, and God intends for us as husband and wife to meet each other's needs in the context of that marriage. And so take a look at what Paul said about this. He said, a man should fulfill his duty as a husband, and a woman should fulfill her duty as a wife, and each should satisfy, satisfy the other's needs. In other words, it isn't that a husband's needs are important and a wife's needs are not, or that a wife's needs are important and a husband's not. No, God says both husband and wife's needs are important and they need to be fulfilled. They need, we need to fulfill each other's needs in the relationship. But having said this, we need to acknowledge the fact that just because we're married, just because we've become, through a ceremony and a commitment, we've become a husband or wife, that doesn't instantly mean 
that we know how to meet each other's needs. Because meeting each other's needs in a marriage takes and requires a set of skills, a set of skills that needs to be learned. And the reality is some of us have yet to learn those skills, but the good news is they can be learned. But having said that, I want to quickly go on to say this, folks, that I really do believe that a lot of marital stress and a lot of marital conflict could be avoided and resolved if we apply the following principle for all. Take a look at what he says. He, he writes these words. He says, look out for each other's interests, not just your own. And the reason he writes that, and we get it, I mean, most of you are already ahead of me. The truth is, the reason Paul wrote that is because at the root of most marital conflict and stress, when we cut through all the baloney and all the excuses, is selfishness. We are simply looking out for our needs ahead of our spouse's needs, or our needs, and we just we completely ignore our spouse's needs. And folks, one of the ways I think that selfishness reveals itself in marriages today, and we hear it over the over again, it's in the expression that I've got to do what's best for me. Have you heard that? I've got to do what's best for me. But here's, I just want to push into that for a second. Because I would suggest to you that spiritual and relational maturity teaches us the exact opposite of that attitude. And let me give you one biblical example. Speaking about Jesus' love for others, his service to others, who he was and how he lived his life, listen to what Paul wrote in Philippians to that same group of Christians. He said, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he clung to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. So what we need to say, what I want to take away from that is what Paul clearly is telling us is Jesus put what was best for us ahead of what was best for him. And so the attitude that I've just got to do what's best for me, folks, is completely disconnected from the example that Jesus gave us for what it means to love others, and certainly that includes our spouse. Now, I don't, I don't think most of us would disagree with that. Not most of us here are watching online, but what we might be asking in that context is say, okay, fair enough, but where do I get the power to meet my spouse's needs when my emotional, relational, spiritual tanks are completely empty? And the answer to that question, folks, is found in the next verse. We'll take a look at what Paul writes. He says, God, who is at work within you, will give you the will and the power to achieve his purpose, meaning whatever God calls us to do, he will empower us to do. In other words, God will not say to you and me, as he did through the Apostle Paul, that we are to meet and fulfill our spouse's needs and then not give us the power to do it. In fact, Paul says God will not only give us the power to do it, he will give us the will, the desire to do it. It will become part of our goals, our heart's desire to meet our spouse's need, which is why... I say in every premarital counseling situation, folks, that it takes three people to make a marriage successful. It takes a wife, it takes a husband, and it takes God. Because, folks, think about it like a stool. Here's how I'd explain it to you. If we leave God out of that equation, then what we really have, when we cut God out, what we really have is a two-legged stool. And we all know a two-legged stool cannot stand. Instead, it quickly falls over. And so we need not only a husband and a wife in a marriage, we absolutely need God if we're going to have a successful marriage. So while there may be times in your marriage like there are in mine, times in your life like there are in my life, when you say, 
I don't know if I have anything else to give. My tank is empty. The reality is you and I can depend and trust God to give us the power that we need and the desire we need to meet our spouse's needs in a loving, caring way. Because he promises to give us the power that we need to fulfill his purposes, his good purposes in our lives. And that certainly, certainly includes caring for our spouse, meeting his or her needs. Well, let me give you the third thing that God gives us the power to do in all of our marriages. And that is, in some ways, I think today we might say this is the most difficult, but that is to forgive our spouse's mistakes. To forgive our spouse's mistakes. Let me give you what I know are obvious realities of marriage to you, but it's often in, in times of hurt and pain that we forget this. Folks, let me give you two obvious realities about marriage. The first reality is this. You married an imperfect person. Second reality, your spouse married an imperfect person. I was going to say, and you're not too hot either, but I thought that'd probably be offensive. So well, let's just say, and your spouse married an imperfect person as well. And listen to me, when two imperfect people get married, even when they love each other, hurt still happens. Often, as I said earlier, often that hurt is unintentional and it, it's not met. It, it comes from a place of ignorance or a place of whatever. But whether it's intentional or unintentional, folks, the reality is in marriages, in relationship, hurt eventually happens. And when that hurt happens, we have two choices. We really have two options. We, we can forgive the hurt or we can feed the hurt. We, we truly can release it or we can fester with it. But listen to me, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because unforgiveness kills marriages. It devastates marriages with no doubt about it. In fact, take a look at what Solomon said. He said, it's better to dwell in the desert, in other words, wilderness, a completely empty, vacant place, than with a quarrelsome and nagging mate. Now I'm going to ask you to do something. Do not go out of here and quote that verse to your spouse today on the way home. Okay, I mean, don't use it as a club because it wasn't intended to be a club. In fact, if you do that, you're actually proving Solomon's point. Here's the point that Solomon's trying to get, and maybe I can say it the way you'll remember it. Solomon is saying those kind of continual, repeated digs can bury a marriage. It can destroy a marriage. Those kind of digs at one another will bury your marriage. It reminds me of a woman I heard about who looked at her friend, she was with a close friend, she said, you know what, I want a divorce. My husband's a jerk. And her friend, being wise, perhaps a Christian, said back to her, but I get that, and I want to minimize that. But you said in the marriage ceremony, you, you, you take him for better and worse, to which she said, without a pause, she said, yes, I did. But it's far worse than I ever took him for. My point is, folks, that we need to be willing to forgive. We have to bring ourselves to that place where we're willing to give, forgive. Paul said this, let there be no more bitter resentment or anger, no more shouting or slander. Let there be no bad feelings of any kind among you. In other words, what Paul is saying to you, is saying to me, is saying to us as husbands and wives, as, uh, as fiancés, is to say to us, don't hold on to the hurt. And certainly don't react out of the hurt and we get that. And again, this is one of those things we all could say yes to. We all could say amen to. But the reality is, if we're honest, is that's a lot easier said than done in a marriage. It's a lot easier to understand and articulate the principle, don't hold on to the hurt, than is to actually live it out, which is why, quite 
honestly, I would guess in a group this size that some of us have had a spouse make a major mistake, maybe a devastating mistake. And it happened weeks, months, years, maybe decades ago, but the truth be told is we're still holding it on, over them and, and on, on them for no matter how repentant or apologetic they are, we keep saying to ourselves, mentally, emotionally, we keep saying they hurt me, therefore they owe me. But listen to me. Please hear me. The refusal to forgive our spouse will kill our marriage. And so with God's help, we have to get to that place where we let go of the hurt by forgiving our spouse's offense. Now, again, I, I don't want to minimize that, and I know some of you are hearing that, and you're going, Jerry, I get that, I really do, but understand, I don't know if I can. He hurt me so deeply. She betrayed me so extensively. I don't know if I could ever forgive him. I don't know if I could ever let it go. And without minimizing that, I just want to encourage you, if that's where you're at today, I want to encourage you, would you take a look at the next verse on your outline? For here's what it says. It says, be gentle and ready to forgive. Never hold on to grudges. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. In other words, what Paul is arguing, he says the secret to you and I forgiving other people that have hurt us, wounded us, betrayed us, is remembering what God has forgiven us for. In other words, what he's arguing is for when you and I re truly remember and appreciate what God has forgiven us for, we will find it easier to forgive others because he is arguing that no one will ever hurt us or ever offend us more than we have hurt and offended God. And so here's what I want to suggest to you today, and I don't say this flippantly, I don't say it callously, I know how difficult this is for some of us, but I want to encourage if you're struggling to forgive a spouse today, then I want to encourage you to ask yourself, how would reflecting on Jesus' forgiveness for me help me forgive my spouse? Because the reality is, folks, when you and I reflect on how much Jesus truly has forgiven us and how wonderful a gift that is and how tremendous of a price he paid to do it, I promise you, we will find it easier, not easy, but easier to begin to forgive our spouse. Well, I came across a study some time ago that just fascinated me. I want to share it with you kind of by way of conclusion. In this study, they, they, they talked to couples who, who were married in a church service and not married in a church service. And here's what they found. They found that couples that got married in a church ceremony had a divorce rate that dropped from the national average, which was approximately 1 in 2, as we all know, to 1 in 50. Now, that's pretty impressive, right? I mean, that's significant statistically, from 1 in 2 to 1 in 50. But listen to this. This is where it really got my attention. When that same couple who got married in a church service makes a commitment to attending regularly attending church services together, praying together, and reading the Bible together, that divorce rate, when it started at 1 in 2 and became 1 in 50, becomes 1 in 1,105. Folks, that's the difference that God's power can make in your life and mine, can make a difference in your marriage and mine. Now, understand, having said that, I, I, you know, full disclosure, folks, understand that that probably doesn't mean that your marriage is going to turn around overnight. Because the reality is it has taken time, perhaps years, for some of us to get our marriages in the place that they are today. 
And so it's going to take time for us to get the, our marriage where we want it to be. It may also probably will take the help of, of a good Christian counselor to help us untangle all the knots that we've tied ourselves in emotionally and the marriage in emotionally. But listen, if we'll hang in there and let God work, he'll help us build the marriage of our dreams. So what I want to say to you this morning is if you're here struggling in your marriage, hold on. Hold on, because the same power that God used to raise His Son Jesus from the dead is available to raise your marriage from the dead. But it requires a commitment. It requires a commitment, first of all, of your life to God. And the second thing it requires is a commitment of your, yourself to your spouse and to your marriage. A commitment that says something like this, with God's help, we're not giving up on the marriage. With God's help, we can have the marriage of our dreams. So I'm going to encourage you this morning, if you're struggling in your marriage, hold on. If you're celebrating, and I know many of you are, you are living the marriage of the dream, then I want you to take time this week, even today, to thank God for it, to thank one another for it, because it really is, to have a successful marriage takes a wonderful wife, a wonderful husband, and a wonderful God. Let's pray. Folks, as we close today, I would just want to invite you to ask yourself, very honestly, very candidly, have I received God's forgiveness in my life? Because that really is the starting point for a great marriage. We need God's Spirit. We need God's power and we need God's forgiveness before we can be the person we need to be for our spouse and for our family and for our marriage. And that doesn't need to overwhelm us or frighten us, folks, because as we said earlier, Jesus died on the cross to make that possible. And so, folks, we, we, we don't have to beg God to be a part of our marriage. Is waiting to be invited to be a part of our marriage and a part of our lives. And so if you've never done it before, I, I just truly want to invite you right now to just say, Jesus, come into my life. Come into my life and make me the person you want me to be. Come into my life and make me the spouse that you want me to be. A spouse who understands my mate's differences. A spouse who fulfills my mate's needs. And certainly, God, a spouse who forgives my, my spouse's mistakes because I need to give and show the same grace to her or to him that you've shown to me. I want to give you just a second in the privacy of your heart just to do that. Heavenly Father, thank you right now that I know because of the love we have for one another, because of the work of your Spirit in our life, there are people right now getting serious with you. They're saying to you right now, I, I want your forgiveness. I want you in my life. Some are saying to you, Jesus, come into my life and teach me how to really love my spouse. 
and to really love my family the way that you love me. And so this morning, I just want to say, Father, thank you for those in the service and online who are not only inviting you into their life, but inviting you maybe for the first time or in a deeper, more profound way into their marriages today. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jerry, for those words this morning. Well, this morning, I want to direct us to our gray connection card that you will find in your bulletin. When I first uh, attended Peckway, probably going on four more years now, um, I saw at the time it was a green connection card in the bulletin, and I thought, oh, well, how cool is that? It's a way for them to keep track of their members. <laughs> no, honestly, it's not a way for us to keep track of your mem- uh, to keep track of you. <laughs> But it is a great way for us to communicate. It's a great way for you to write a prayer request on the back. And I want to direct us to prayer this morning. We've had the opportunity to walk through the power of Jesus' name, his goodness. We sang about peace. And Pastor Jerry brought us the word this morning on God's solution to marital stressors. There is such power in prayer. And if you need prayer this morning, I really encourage you to simply, it could just be one word that you write on here, you know, or two, marriage prayer, you know, something simple. We have committed members that are ready to pray for you. The staff is committed and ready to receive your prayer. Maybe it feels a little vulnerable to write on the card and to place it in the box in the back. I understand that. So I encourage you to find a trusted friend or even a mentor that you can talk to, pray together. Maybe it's even your spouse or who you're in a relationship with if you're dating. God will use that. Maybe it is even a committed small group. I can attest to uh, the small group that my family is a part of and how significant that has been for us. If you don't currently have a small group and are looking to get connected, you can write small group on the back of your card as well, and we we can get in touch with you, help you find a committed group. The church isn't just a place we show up on Sunday, but it is the gathered people. We are gathered here today. So let's be the church as we walk through this week, praying for each other, praying for our spouse, praying for a friend. Let's start that connection of prayer. We also have resources available Giving to the church allows us to provide those resources. You can do so both online or just by placing that in the box in the back. If you are visiting with us today, we're just so glad to have you here, so please don't feel obligated to give, but you are welcome. As I dismiss you this morning, I just want to um, pray over you one last time, but I also want to draw attention to the fact that we get to celebrate fathers next weekend. 
and what a great role that they have in the family and in the church. So I'm excited to celebrate that next weekend, just as we have celebrated mothers. So before I dismiss you, I just want to give a quick prayer for us, and then you will be dismissed. And I just hope that you have a blessed rest of your day. So please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the time, again, that we've been able to be in your word. Lord, I just want to pray over those that are gathered here today in person and online as well. A lot of thoughts might be circling our minds right now. Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would guide each of us this week, whether that's a commitment into a relationship with you for the very first time, or it's a commitment to our marriage, to our family. And then, Lord, I just pray that we would be able to surround each other as a church. We would be able to pray for each other, and to be the gathered people that you have called us to be. We thank you for today and the opportunity to gather together. In your precious name, amen. You are dismissed.